total decriminalization of sex work to ensure the safety, dignity, security of all sex workers and recognize the enforcement uh, disproportionately targets blacks, indigenous, migrants, uh, trans women, and uh, uh, street-based sex workers. So what does this say to us about the year 2015 in our society? Last week, we looked at uh, chapter 15 and 16, chapters 15 and 16 of the book of Revelation. And this week, we're going to continue on with the book. But as we looked at chapter 16, we saw the plagues that are presenting what the future is going to look like. It was not a pleasant experience. But the good news, as we all know, is that the church won't be present. It will be a day of judgment by God. And um, and still, we have to recognize that seven plagues that destroy drinking water, food sources, scorching over the earth, bringing sores on the people, earthquakes and lightnings and thunderings is certainly not a pretty picture that we would want anyone we know to have to go through. Today, the scripture that we've just read reminds us a little bit about uh, the nature of of the seventh plague, the final plague. And this is a wrap-up from God's perspective of the overall punishment that will be coming to the world. The description uses a, a kind of symbolism which would make some of us quite uncomfortable. Most of us don't like talking about uh, the, the terms that you look it up in various uh, uh, commentaries as well as in even the original Greek, it's just simply calling it a whore and describing the, um, the, the city of Babylon and the system of religion of Babylon, a whorish religion. It's very strong vocabulary, vocabulary that in churches we don't usually uh, bring up. But we're told in Revelation 16, 19 that Babylon came in remembrance before God, to give unto her the cup of wine of the fierceness of His wrath. In other words, God at this point is saying, it's all over, I'm tired, it's finished. Chapter 17 shows the destruction by God of the Babylonian religious system and how it has developed as to become an apostate church, a false church, a warped church, calling itself church, which was in truth only an assemblance of church. Chapter 18 will bring the total destruction of the economic system of Babylon. You know and I know when we think of Babylon uh, that that is a city that was destroyed and is nothing but ruins today. But for some of us, we would recognize that it's quite near where Baghdad is today as far as location in Syria. And as we look at the Scripture, we can go into as much detail as we wish But uh, we will be trying to keep some of the Scripture on the screen for you today to kind of remind you of where God is in this. But I'd like for us to, because God thought it was such a valuable symbol to use the term prostitute, I think we need to think through what that means, what it implies. You know, a prostitute, and I want you to, to remember some of these ideas and add your own as you wish, as we look at the description that God is using with John to understand the nature of the world as it will be. 
and also to challenge us to look at the world that we have, the world in which we live today. A prostitute dresses to attract others, to attract men. A prostitute is willing to do whatever it takes to separate the customer from his money. Prostitute may no longer care about herself because she actually is serving a pimp or a boss. And the resources that are given to her are always shared on to others. A prostitute usually is lacking in self-esteem. A prostitute may not see herself as a prostitute anymore over time as she receives financial benefits through her arrangement. A prostitute may dress well, be very well educated, even just use the term mistress to refer to herself in order to try to make herself more socially acceptable. But in God's eyes, prostitution is still not good. Prostitution is still wrong. Prostitution is sin. So calling it anything you want doesn't change the reality. Prostitute may repent and be forgiven. There is hope. But the scars remain for the lifestyle that was lived. A prostitute may carry disease and pass those to others. A prostitute always knows that her beauty and lifestyle are fleeting, short term. A prostitute may never want or may never say what a or will always say what a man wants to hear. But what is truly in her heart is is the hidden thing. A prostitute has lost her way, lost her morals, lost her values. A prostitute may see her value as greater than it really is. And there is a great risk within her lifestyle when it comes to physical dangers as well as others. The unfaithful husband, the unfaithful husband is a prime target for a prostitute. The examples I could give you from living in China are all too many related to these very things that I had just stated. So, who is a prostitute? Is it only the woman who receives money or compensation? Statistics have shown that the vast majority of singles across multiple national lines before the age of 22 have already had multiple sexual partners. In China, the number of three-hour hotels located around any university campus is absolutely astounding. On one of the campuses where I taught, I can still remember getting in conversation with 20-year-old girls who would talk to me about the fact that they refused to start dating because they weren't ready to go to bed with men yet. They had already reached the point that their understanding of the world was dating meant that. Dating in their minds was, had many far-reaching implications. Today we're not here to discuss the meaning of marriage and we're not going to talk about the meaning of a white wedding dress and what that one day meant in the lives of most people. We're not here to talk about sexual purity. 
we must remember that prostitutes only function because there are unfaithful men seeking their services. It's not a one-sided experience. Specifically related to the harlot of Babylon, which is the scripture that we're looking at today, chapter 17. We have to talk about it whether we want to or not because God thought that was the most appropriate symbolic communication tool that he had. He said that Babylon, both in its religious experience as well as its body as a body of people, was whorish. It was a harlot. And in that word, he was able to define and include all of the things I just mentioned and more. We use words to communicate. We also use symbols. I always struggle for this because one of the things I love about many churches is up front they will have a communion table. And it's a way of communicating to the congregation, to us, when we eat and we drink of this table, just that little simple piece of bread and that little bit of wine, it is a way of us reminding ourselves we're not here for fun today. We're not here because we get to hear a great message. We're not here because the music is wonderful. We're here to meet God. This is a worship time. So when I see that communion table, it has meaning for me. On many communion tables, they also will place a Bible. For me, the Bible on the communion table, so important. Why? When I see that Bible, it reminds me that priority in my life has to be truth. Truth from the Word of God. Whether I feel comfortable about it, whether I like what it says, or how it says it, is not the issue. When we look at Revelation, and we're looking at chapter 17, and it describes what it is like to be or to see this kind of a prostitute, it challenges us. Specifically related to the harlot of Babylon, God is a jealous God, and adultery is never acceptable to Him. He expects us to build a relationship with Him and Him alone. Not switching around, not flip-flopping back and forth, not trying to do it based on how I feel today or whether I want to go to be involved with this bunch of people or that bunch of people. He is saying, I am the target. I am the, the one who you come together with to worship. You focus on me. Adultery is never acceptable. Pantheism, multiple gods, is unacceptable to God. And the intentional choice of Babylon to become a prostitute, giving him, herself to any whim that comes by, that comes by along the way is receiving it, is going to receive its just reward. And if we treat God as anything less than our sole receptor of our praise and our worship, then we're treating God in an adulterous way. The Babylonian harlot for an identity. We can go back to the Old Testament and remember that even in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 10 and 11, Nimrod was the founder of the city of Babylon. And we know that Nimrod was also the one that was involved in the Tower of Babel 
And the Tower of Babel, we know that the tower was built basically to symbolize the independence of those people to say, we're going to do what we want to do. We're going to show that we are in charge of our worship life and in our, in our, the way that we serve. He knew about God, but I won't say that he actually knew God. Because we can see that throughout history, we, he is the great-grandson of Noah. And Noah went through the flood with the, with the full understanding that the world had been destroyed because of the lack of respect for God. He came out of the flood and Noah was more focused on God than ever. But he had a son by the name of Ham. And he did not understand. And apostasy began to come through his life and it was shared on down through the generations until we get to Nimrod who is totally warped in his understanding. And so when he builds the Tower of Babel, his goal is to show his, his rallying ability and to build a rallying center for those who did not walk in obedience to the Word of the Lord. Another thing that we can think about when we consider what was Babel? Because that's what we're going to find in Revelation 17. We're, we're talking about Babylon. John's revelation of the harlot was that this was a religious Babylon that would, be, that would receive uh, uh, power and authority. If any of you know anything about folk religion, folk religion starts out with things that are orthodox or things that are appropriate and warps them a little bit. If they put it into their own comfort areas. Superstition begins to jump in. And then you begin to find varying types of uh, sorcery or, or black magic that can even enter into those circles. And if you've ever been to any of the islands in the middle in the uh, Caribbean, you'll find that that is quite a common thing there. That they call themselves Catholic on one hand, but they're also voodoo on another. They've blended everything together. And indeed, even if you go to South America, some of the countries, you'll find quite a bit of where you'll find the Catholic beliefs here, but they also have integrated in a great deal of their own customs. The truth of the matter is, I suspect if we look closely at BCBC, if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves doing the same thing. For it's not a question of our understanding, it's a question of our actions. And sometimes we're so concerned with our comforts and doing things in ways that we feel like will not offend others that we don't dare to stand up for the things that we know are right. We don't dare to stand because we know it could influence our jobs. It could influence our lives. For the first three and a half years of the tribulation, you know, we've talked about the tribulation being a seven-year period, the religious Babylon will enjoy great position of power as the Antichrist leads. And it will become very popular. Some people have taken the time to actually argue 
that the whore that's described in here is the Roman Catholic Church. Actually, if you look in commentaries, there's great detail for why that is believed. And if any of you have ever seen the Da Vinci Code as a movie, you'll know how some of that, how extreme those things can, can get. As you follow this pattern, it leads you to this thing, that leads you to this thing. I'm not here today to camp on that issue. Whether or not it, it is any particular church doesn't really even matter to me. What I would say to you is the danger of whoredom treating God in such a horrible way as to just see Him as only one of many gods. That potential is found in all churches. And whether we are actually comparing them as being an official God we go and worship or whether it's just revealed in the values that we have and the way we use our time and our money and our energies and our thinking, the danger is still there. All churches need to beware that dangers exist when we become too comfortable, passive, compromising, and generally satisfied with ourselves. When we fail to be salt and light for our society and begin to fear for our securities and comforts, our path is imbalanced. We must begin to understand that the whore of Babylon is guilty of adultery. Adultery is not a very nice word. We all would like to think that our father and mother were faithful to each other. We all would like to think that we will be faithful with our mate. But God uses this illustration of whoredom and adultery with powerful intent to remind people of the easy way that people fall into the control of sin. The passage refers to the whole system of false religion taken on in this world. When the great whore is judged, this refers to God's discontent with the values and direction of these people. In chapter 17, verses 1 to 6, we see today. Chapter 17, verse 1 refers to the prostitute that sits on many waters. Now, the waters are referred to in verse 15 later on to give some discretion and just remind us that the waters represent different nations, different peoples. And so it's saying that the prostitute was impacting the lives of many. There will come a day when the religions will compromise and unify under the Antichrist or the false prophet. This will be a day when Christians will have accepted Mormonism as more or less. Now, and remember again, this is during the last three and a half years of the seven years of the tribulation. And the normal, healthy church will already have been raptured. So any Christians found here will be ones who, were, who had made a decision to follow Christ. But following Christ during these days will be very difficult and there won't be many. So for those Christians, they are facing a world around them that's even worse and more challenging than ours is today. 
For example, I heard Willis share a few moments ago that he as a teacher hopes that student knows he's a Christian. You know, it's hard for me to even imagine being in a work environment where you have to guess if people know you're a believer or not. But I've been told over and over here that people are in, in the situation Willis is put in. It's challenging in a society that says you cannot present open Christian witness. There will come a day when the religions will com uh, compromise and unify under the Antichrist or the false prophet. This will be a day when Christians will have accepted Mormonism as more, as more or less, Buddhism as more or less, Hinduism is more or less. The ecumenical movement of our day is already taking us down that pathway. We have reached a point that the, what, what I used to refer to as the Cham Dalgate Okto, the more or less Christian, has become very, very common. That is, that is being viewed as a perfectly acceptable alternative. But in the Scripture, it's saying that in those days, a little bit of Christianity, a little bit of this, a little bit of this, put it all together, and yep, you're religious, you're okay. You know, this is like when I've told you before, when I go into Malaysia and they ask me to fill out the form, what religion do you follow? And I just put, I don't believe in religion. They always look at me strangely, and then I'll go ahead and tell them I'm a Christian. They say, oh, that's your religion. I said, No. I follow Christ as my Savior and Lord, but his, the religious part of it is not important. The important part is the intimate daily walk with Jesus as my Savior and Lord. We allow our society to mold us. The challenge is, is that really what we want to do? When Christians can compromise to the thoughts that Christianity is just another religion, we will be well on our way to seeing the whore of Revelation 17 in place. When the rapture removes the true Christians from the earth, it will leave only those who are more or less Christians left in the world. And they're going to be giving the definition of what Christianity is to what the others are that are around them. So that whole concept of more or less is going to be everywhere saying, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, so you're, you're a Buddhist and you're nice to people. You know, I've heard so many people say, oh, Christians, yeah, they're really nice to people. You know, if you're just, you know I'm not a Christian, but it, it, being nice to people, that's what's really important. You don't hurt other people. You make people feel good around you. That's what's important. You know, that is not even close to what it is to follow Jesus as Savior and Lord. Sure, we should be nice to people. Sometimes being nice means we even have to dare to say that which is not popular. We have to say that which is challenging. We have to remind them this behavior will get a result that you're not expecting. I can almost guarantee, written 95 A.D., we're talking 2,000 years ago, that we're looking at this book Today, considering these issues, 2,000 years ago, the concept of prostitution was used to communicate. This is not a new idea. It's not a new situation. And yet there were more or less Christians that they were discussing even then. 
Chapter 17, verse 2. With the kings of the earth committed adultery. Now, it says that the religious system that had combined this pantheistic mix of what they were calling religion, in which God was allowing it for three and a half years, they functioned, or, or for several years, they functioned in this particular mode before the beast changed it all. We'll talk about that in a moment. But at first, this kind of a false religion thing was perfectly acceptable. Satan was perfectly content with it. The beast was just thrilled as could be. The kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. The whole world's leaders will choose the false system. Again, the word adultery is a very strong word, but it's one that God used. We live in a world where sleeping around in premarital sex are presented as norm. But God says no. Our challenge as Christians, do we say no? You know, not popular. Look at your movies. Look at your life. Look at your classmates. Look at the people you're around. You know, the, the idea of when I was young and growing up was you went through this little system. You had what we call dating which meant getting to know each other did not mean anything like what that 20-year-old I was talking about a few minutes ago in China thought it meant. Well, we spent the time getting to know with people, and a lot of times in Asia especially, we, we dealt with a, uh, group dating. And then fr from there, you eventually make a commitment to where you're going to marry, and after marriage, then you begin to have a physical relationship Today's world is not there anymore. Now, does that make today's world right? I would say to you the answer, according to the Scripture, is no. According to the Scripture, there is a standard. And that standard is in conflict with the society in which we live today. So when God chose to talk about a whore and talk about adultery... It was so he could communicate with us. But you know, today, I'm not even sure we even would use those words because we, we, we're just not even comfortable with them because we think, well, adultery. Ah, people do what they want to do. That's their life. That's their business, not my business. Well, in a sense, it is. They're responsible for their own lives. But we still have to recognize there are rights and wrongs. God has standards. Do we follow His standards or do we follow the world's standards? Chapter 17, verse 3. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and seven heads and ten horns. The Antichrist, or the beast, is at this point supporting the woman. Why? The Antichrist, and here we go into Second Thessalonians, chapter 2, says that, uh, the the Antichrist plans to worship uh, to be worshipped and wants her support to sp uh, spread the religious system. What is the religious being? Uh, what is the religion being developed in anybody's is anybody's guess? And many people do guess. Yet the idea of a church without clarity is no new idea. Now, why do I say that? I say that because, for example, recently uh, in in uh, December of this last year, about three months ago, I read an article talking about um, uh, Tony Campolo. 
Tony Campolo is a very well-known evangelist. He's been preaching for many, many years. But he has a son named Bart. Now, Bart grew up under his father's tutelage. He learned a lot of the, the, the ways of going into church environments and doing work. Very, very charismatic, charismatic individual with his personality and his presentation. Bart has now denied his Christian faith and has, has now been working at the University of Southern California as a pastor or a minister to the humanistic church that they've developed there. Basically, he said, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're nice to other people and good to other people. And he's developed a very good skill with it because he does have those gifts of being able to share and, and draw people in and his, his preaching is exciting and interesting. And yet, from a content perspective, he has sold out. Will it not be this type of charismatic individual that will function as the Antichrist in the future? Is this not the kind of danger we see? A person who has a silver tongue is not necessarily the person you want to follow. I'm not saying they're all evil. That's not what I'm trying to say at all. I've heard some very good speakers and preachers, and I thought, oh, that's marvelous. But their content was founded on the Word of God, not on their own opinion. Chapter 17, verse 4. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering gold and precious stones and pearls. She held a gold cup in her hand filled with the abominable things and the filth, filth of her adulteries. The Scripture warns us of a prostitute who dresses nicely, dresses for attention, wears the jewels that we were talking about, I guess I'm somewhat reminded of television preachers that always make me so uncomfortable. You can go on television and see these guys that look like they've already successfully gained all that the world has to offer. And I keep wondering how they are able to blend that in with their Christian faith. Appearances of health for this church that we're talking about in the future are many, but the cup is full of abominable things and filth. In other words, a false church is still a false church. Do you need to be careful what church you join? The answer is yes. You don't join just because it's fun, they've got the greatest activities in the world. You don't join just because you think they're going to be able to offer the programs you want. We join a church to serve God. We should serve together. Find a place. Appearances can still confuse. Any church has the same danger when the Word of God is not highly valued and the people settle for that which is popular only. The name written on the forehead was mystery. This is verse 5. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. The mother of the prostitutes Prostitution, again, people who are not faithful to God. Simple. Definition of prostitution, lack of faithfulness. Being willing to sell out. 
seeking things for their own good and their own comfort. It is here that the declaration is made, but the people at that time no longer care. They just want to be part of something great and big. Whether what they are gaining is healthy or meaningful for their discipleship on a personal level is totally not their concern or their interest. Connections and friends drive the sense. For togetherness is at all costs what they desire. When we think of Babylon, I don't know what you think of, but when I consider Babylon, we think of an ancient city in Iraq. Uh, It was once the greatest city in the world. For the purposes of our concern, Babylon is spoken of as the religious system that is presented. Humanistic thinking resulted in God judging them. And the Babylon of the book of Revelation will one more time bring that same type of judgment by God. The end of the tribulation will bring a clear understanding of what God plans to do. Chapter 17, verse 6. I saw a woman drunk with the blood of God's people. Drunk with the blood of God's people. That's martyrdom. People who were willing to be faithful no matter what it brought them. Now, I would say to you today, one of my greatest burdens is that the church of Vancouver in the year 2015 would be a church of people who have got enough courage to stand strong for God. Now, what does that mean? That sounds real nice in theory. But what do we do when our values as Christians don't match what our society says is normal or is of okay or acceptable? What do we do when we read that there are numbers of people who are arguing over whether prostitution should be legalized or not, should be acceptable as a norm or not. Do we have a responsibility? Do we dare stand up? Expect persecution. They need to expect it in the future, even after the church is gone and it's made with... The few Christians that will be found who have made decisions during those very, very difficult days can expect they are walking a hard path. We need to be useful today to make sure there are less people in those days that more are with us at that point. As we look at the the system of Babylon, verses 7 to 11, let's think. There's a beast involved. Verse 8 refers to the miracle of the Antichrist's death and the resurrection. Whether this is a literal fact or a figurative fact, still it's the same thing where he was, he was not, but he will be again. The result will be the same. And most people of the world will believe the miracle and they will follow him. In those terrible, terrible days of the last three and a half years of the tribulation, There will be people following the Antichrist and still saying, I will not recognize God. The eighth king is the Antichrist and he will rule for a time. It mentions that there in verse 10 speaks of seven kingdoms that have ruled the world in history. 
such as Egypt and Babylon and Persia and Greek, Greece and Rome, these different places, uh, different bodies, including the one to come under the Antichrist. The ten kings. The ten kings we go on, it talks about there, the ten horns. As you continue to look, it says they will have a very short-lived time. In verse 12, it refers to it as only one hour. They are puppets, and they give their power of authority to the beast. They will wage, wage war against the Lamb. This is a time that we look forward to. It's the battle of Armageddon. The war against the Lamb has a set result. The Lamb will triumph over the beast because he is the Lord of lords, the King of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. This is a time when we as Christians become cheerleaders for God. This is a time when there will be excitement by the Christians because we will know we made it through to the end. Verses 15 to 18, the harlot is destroyed. And it talks about on the waters at this point again, being the different nations. 15 to 18, verse 16 says, like any prostitute in her time of service will be limited. Now we mentioned the list of things that prostitutes go through and what their values are. The time is limited. Her beauty has a time frame. And the interesting thing is the religious system that is developed in, in Babylon is one that is designed to uh, control men's lives. And yet by this time, after a short period of time, the beast steps in and says, okay, thank you very much, you've done your job. The job time is finished now, no more. And according to the Scripture, it says that indeed the harlot will be destroyed, will be no longer useful. A prostitute is that way. And that's what God was trying to communicate at this point. The beast will be destroyed by the Babylonian religious system of pantheism. For God's perspective is a happy day of adultery is always viewed by God as unacceptable. Man was created to serve God, not others. As the, tri as the tribulation ends, the end of the seven-year period, all false religions, a religion will be gone and the millennial 1,000-year reign of Christ will be prepared for. The Battle of Armageddon is an exciting time. It's a frightening time also. You know, sometimes when we talk about sermons, we say, well, what, are, what do I want to get from the sermon? Or we say to ourselves, what is the takeaway? Actually, today what I would challenge us to do is not to think about what we're going to take away from the sermon as much as how we're going to interact with it. Because the sermon is Revelation 17 where God is saying, Watch out for false teachers. Be aware that whoredom does exist. Be aware that, that whores have a limited time frame and that adultery is possible even by you. Now, adultery in the sense that we don't give God His due. God is acting in history. He is acting in Vancouver. Are we participating or are we observing? My takeaway from this sermon is that I don't want to ever be or treat God, I would ever treat God in any way that would appear to be a harlot. I don't want to play church with God. 
I don't want to attend any church unless it is with a hunger to serve my Father there. How about you? We have many needs in our church. My prayer is that we will not be pew-sitters, but that we will be people who are seeking opportunities to be salt and light in a world that's hungry for purpose and direction. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the testimony of what John presents. We thank You for the awareness that even using the symbol of a prostitute dealing with a lack of faithfulness on the part of men and kings, that you, you can use these things and teach us. Father, help us to be worthy, faithful servants of You. That in our own personal lives, we will be the kind of people you would be proud of to call your children. Father, help us to be bold and help us not to be passive when we participate in church. Help us to know that we are here to worship you, not just to pass time. Father, help us to be hungry for your teaching and your direction and your love. In Jesus' name.